Well, that's great. Thank you so much, ladies. What a blessing. Thank you to our guests so much for doing that. That was a blessing to uh, all of us to hear. Take your copy of God's Word and be opening again this morning to the little book of 1 John. 1 John. So if you're 
Uh, unfamiliar with First John, find the very back of your Bible, Revelation, back up just a little bit. You'll be in the little book of First John. We're going to look at a scripture passage this morning, beloved, that has been used to denounce everything from buttons to beer. They've used this passage to denounce those things. From buttons to beer. It's a passage that I believe has been misunderstood, uh, misapplied, mishandled over the years. It's been used by various people to prove that their list of do's and don'ts are the true mark of uh, spirituality. In other words, when they found something that they didn't like, they'd run to this passage and uh, they say, now listen, here's what it says. The Christians should not do this or that. And here it is. Uh, and they would use this as a proof passage. Uh, perhaps sometime in your life, you've heard the following uh, things. You've been told that Christians don't go to movies. Uh, Christians don't dance. Uh, Christians don't play cards. Christians don't watch TV. Christians don't, many of the things, maybe you've been told growing up or you've heard in your time that Christians don't dip, they don't chew or go with girls who do. And uh, that's kind of the idea. A lot of people would uh, use this passage to uh, prove that. And they'd say, if you did those things, you're considered a worldly Christian. You ever heard that phrase, worldly Christian? Uh, Now, we know that God's word is clear. Don't misunderstand. We know as Christians there are some things we should not do. The Bible's clear about that. We know that as Christians there are some places we better not go. We shouldn't, we don't belong there. But what about all these rules and these lists of do's and don'ts? In fact, I even read this past week that in Finland it's considered worldly to whistle. Did you know that? Whistling is worldly. And so I'm sure somewhere there's Christians have a list there. Real Christians don't whistle. Well, yeah, we've got some worldly Christians in here, it sounds like. Now, now listen, David Allen wrote, listen to what he said. Many Christians fall into the trap of negative holiness. Very interesting phrase, negative holiness. They think that if they just refrain from certain activities, places, etc., they will not be worldly. But there's a problem. Different individuals' list of do's and don'ts differ. Loving the world is not merely a matter of keeping somebody's rules. Loving the world begins in the heart before it's ever lived out in the life. We see a picture of that in the New Testament, don't we? When you go back and read the account of Jesus and the Pharisees, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, did they? And one of the reasons why was what? Uh, He didn't keep their rules. They had all these things. You don't do this. You do this. And Jesus bucked up against a lot of that. And of course, we know how that all turned down. So we want to avoid all this legalism, these man-made lists of rules that say, well, real Christians don't do this. We want to avoid that. But at the same time, while we live under grace, we dare not let our grace become an occasion for sin. What I mean by by this is we don't want to go so far in our freedom in Christ that we do overstep the boundary and we end up sinning because we say we're under grace. Because Paul's very clear in his word in the word, right? But God forbid that we should sin that grace might abound. We don't want to go to the opposite extreme where we cry legalism over every standard of righteousness. 
Where if somebody says, well, you know, Christians shouldn't, and they can show you the Bible clearly, we say, oh, that's a legalism. No, the Bible spells out clearly there are some things that we as believers are not to do, some places that we should not go. They're off limits. And then there are some things that God may give us as individuals to help us. Uh, there's some things that maybe he has given you the liberty to be involved in. In other words, there's some things that may be fine for me to do, but they're not fine for you to do. And vice versa. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, let's say that you've struggled with alcohol your entire life. And God's brought you through that, but maybe... You know, there's still that temptation. And so maybe you've made up your mind it's best for you not to eat in a restaurant that serves alcohol. Because, you know, if you go to that restaurant that serves alcohol, you'll be really tempted to order alcohol and, and, and maybe get in that. So you need to avoid it. And so maybe you say, well, personally, I just don't have liberty to go to a restaurant that serves alcohol because I'm afraid I might get involved in that. But at the same time, that impacts me in no way, shape or form, unless we're going together. I have no temptation regarding that. For me, when I travel alone, I never turn on the television in a hotel room. I leave it off. I don't touch the television because I don't want to even face the possibility of watching something that would be displeasing or even being tempted to watch something that would dishonor the Lord or cause me to sin. And so what I've made up my mind, it's best for me to not even turn on the television. For you, you might think that's silly. I have no temptation, no, 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 nothing about that. See what I'm saying? There's some things in your life that maybe you are not going to get involved in. And, and there's some things in my life I'm not going to touch because we know each other. We know what you see what I mean about that personal liberty. But then there are those who say, wait a minute, let's just add them to the list. Real Christians never eat in a restaurant that serves alcohol. Real Christians never watch television in the hotel room. Do you see the difference there? It crosses that boundary. It crosses that border. We've moved from freedom in Christ. We've moved from grace into legalism. But there is a balance. There's a balance, beloved. We find it in our passage today as we see that worldliness begins where? In our heart. Look at the book of 1 John chapter 2. We're only going to look at three verses this morning, 15, 16, and 17. A very familiar passage to many. And if it is familiar to you, I don't want the familiarity of it to keep you kind of dazed out this morning. I want you to plug in and listen. I'm going to read it to you first of all in the New King James. Then I'm going to read it again in a different translation to get just a different hearing of it. 1 John chapter 2, and we pick up our study at verse 15. The Bible says clearly, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now listen to it one more time. This is the New Living Translation. Listen to it. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. They both said the same things. Obviously a translation from the original Greek, but a different sense and a different. It helps us to hear it in different wording. 
Now, the message that John gives us here this morning, beloved, is pretty clear, pretty quick. Do not love the world and do not love the things in the world. Now, this seems like a strange command from the very get go, I think. Because often God is telling us to do what? To love. Love one another. Love the brethren. Love, love, love. But here God is actually commanding us not to love something. And so it seems a little bit unusual, a little bit strange to to not love something. But here we're told, do not love the world or the things in the world. So the real question we've got to tackle right away is what is the world? Because if we get that wrong, the whole thing's wrong. When he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, what's he talking about? The Greek word is the word cosmos. We get our words like cosmopolitan, cosmetic, cosmic from that word. Cosmos. It's a favorite word of John. Hobbes says out of the 187 occurrences in the New Testament, John uses it 106 times. He uses this word cosmos. In the Gospel of John, he uses it 79 times. In our book we're studying right now, he uses it 23 times. In 2 John, he uses it one time. And in Revelation, three times. It's a favorite word of his. The world. And the question is, what does he mean when he says, love not the world? Do not love the world. Well, when you look at the Bible, there's three different options. There's three different possibilities. Number one, there's the created world, the cosmos, if you will. That is nature. So we look out today and we see trees, we see stars, we see the sky, we see all this creation. We see the world. That's one possibility. Secondly, the people of the world. That is humanity. The world, the world of people. And there are all kinds of people, all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. And it's, a, it's an interesting sight to look out upon humanity. That's the world. But then there's a third option we can look at. And that's the idea of this evil world system or satanic philosophy, if you want to say it that way. So we've got three options. It's either nature, the created world, humanity, the people of the world, or the evil world system, the satanic philosophy that runs this world. Now, I think you already know which one it is. But bear with me. Let's do the process of elimination. We have three options. Let's see. Let's run them through the uh, scripture here and think about this for a moment. We can safely assume he's not talking about creation, the created world. Why? Because the Bible says that the creation actually displays the glory of God. It actually brings glory to God. And so he can't be saying, well, you know, it's wrong for you to go out and enjoy my creation. Because God created this earth and he says it was what? It was good. Now, sad to say, we messed it up. But there's still so much that's good about it. So he's not saying, listen, you can't go out and enjoy creation. That's obviously not what he's talking about. Well, there must be the second option, right? Do not love humanity. Well, that can't be it, can it? Because if that's the case, then God is telling us to do something that he himself has already done, right? He's telling us not to do what he's already done. What's the Bible say? For God so loved the world. And so for for him to say to us, listen, don't love humanity. He'd be telling us to not do something he's already done and already does. So we know he can't be saying to us, don't love humanity. We're supposed to love people. So it can't be that one. But the third one must be it then. 
the evil world system, the satanic philosophy. Uh, John mentions it several times in his letter. Listen and see if you sense what he's saying here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 9. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Satan. Lucifer, the devil, whatever title you want to use in the scripture there. He's called those things. That old slippery snake, Satan. He's a fallen angel. In fact, I want you to hear what the Bible says about Satan and his system. He's called the God of this age in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine on them. He's called the ruler of this world in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world be cast out. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works to the sons of disobedience. Are you beginning to grasp what world he's talking about here? He's talking about the world system, the world philosophy, the satanic system, the satanic philosophy. He's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of this air of the air. Now, we know that's all temporary because he's been defeated and he'll ultimately be thrown into a lake of fire. But right now, Satan is ruling this world. And so what God is saying to us here is do not love this world. Do not love this ungodly, satanic system and philosophy of life. Lawson helps us. World here refers to false philosophies, ideologies, values, lifestyles, and religions that exist independent of and in opposition to God. Satan is orchestrating together all its various parts. The world of politics, the world of education, the world of entertainment, and so on, into one massive rebellion against God. Under Satan's control, unsaved man creates his godless rules, establishes his humanistic values, and seeks his self-indulgent pleasures apart from God. Do you see, this whole system is anti-God. This whole system is anti-Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that in our world? You can say all sorts of religions. You can say all sorts of people. But the moment you mention the name of Jesus, there's a problem for many people, right? Why? Because the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, uh, the God of this age, Satan opposes that. And he's ruling and reigning, but it's temporary. And God says, listen, I don't want you to love The world in that sense. I don't want you to love the world's philosophies and ideologies and values and lifestyles. And and all of this is in opposition to God. 
We've got to be very careful about this. And we find he clarifies it more because he talks about three different areas in verse 16. Three different areas of worldliness, if you want to call it that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, let me just say right away, don't just sit there and say, well, I don't love the world. Now, wait a minute. Look at it with me. It's very easy to get captivated by the world. It's very easy to get your heart taken by the world. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business just to capture your ear and your eye today to get you to buy their product or live their lifestyle. Let's look at these. Now, when you talk about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, we think about lust. We usually think about it in two regards. Number one, we think about it in regards to usually sex. We'll see there's a part of that, but that's not the complete picture. Secondly, we always think about lust in an evil way. But lust really just means a desire or craving. And there are a few examples in the Bible where it's used in a good sense, where you crave or desire something good. But here, that's not the case. Here, it's aimed toward evil in an evil sense. First of all, the lust of the flesh. While that would include sexual sin... Not just sexual sin. This is any appetite that's out of control. We know that we have bodily cravings and desires and things. Did any of y'all ever get hungry? Some of you say, I'm hungry right now, preacher. You get thirsty. Uh, You have a desire for rest. We talked about rest this morning in Sunday school. There is a sexual desire within man, uh, within humanity. If there were not, we'd cease to exist probably, right? The idea, beloved, is there are bodily cravings and hungers and desires. Those should be met in a godly, biblical way. And God has provided for that. To meet those needs. That's not what's being talked about here when it says lust of the flesh. This is appetite out of control. You know, Satan loves to take what is good and to adulterate it and to misuse it and to do wrong with it, right? Worship within itself is a wonderful thing if our worship is aimed at the right person, God alone. Satan desired worship, right? When he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you these things. He desires what is right within itself, worship. Man has a desire to worship. Did you know that? You can travel all over the world and visit jungles and tribes where people don't have never seen a white person. And yet, what are they doing? They're worshiping something and someone. Our heart craves that. But we have to make sure that our worship is aimed at only one. The one who's worthy of worship, worthy of praise, God alone. That's not what's being talked about here. The lust of the flesh. We find a list of some of these things. In Galatians chapter uh, 5. Now you often know the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, we memorize the fruit of the Spirit. But did you ever look at the list of the flesh? The fruit of the flesh? Listen to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Lust of the flesh. Now it says in Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are, now get ready, it's an ugly list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. Basically, your evening newspaper, evening news telecast, right? That's what that is. That's the works of the flesh. He says there, I, 
of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The lust of the flesh is living for the base desires. We look at the news and we look at uh, our world and we, we sometimes think, don't we? How in the world could somebody do that? How could someone abuse that child? How could someone be so cold-blooded in their murder? It's the flesh. And they're getting to those base desires. And God says, I don't want you to love the world. I don't want you to fulfill the lust, those evil cravings and desires of the flesh. And we have a whole list of them there. But that's the first thing he mentions. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. A desire, a craving for what you can see. Now, we can use our eyes for good things, can't we? We can also use our eyes for things that are not so good. You can have the lust of the eyes, the desire for what you see. It can be a various list of things. It could be a desire for a woman. We find a story in the Bible about a man named David and a lady named Bathsheba. And he looked and he saw, wasn't her name appropriate, by the way, but Bathsheba's out taking a bath. You always remember that story. And he looked and he saw it. He had that evil lust for her. And you know what happened. It can be a lust for riches and clothing and things. There's a man by the name of Achan in the Bible. And you should go back and read the story about it as they went in. to attack. Wasn't it uh, uh, Ai, wasn't it, when they went in? And Achan took some things he wasn't supposed to take and hid them and see what happened to the people of Israel. Anything you can see. Houses and boats and cars and collections and, and antiques. They don't, they don't misunderstand me. God's not saying it's wrong if you possess some of those things. Uh, what's wrong is if you're possessed by those things. Those things have captured your heart. You live for those things. We know that God has blessed many of us in this room. We have clothes. We have things. But this right here is a desire, a craving that's sinful and evil. This is what you live for. You live for these things. What you can see. And our world spends billions of dollars to capture your heart, to make you discontent. To make you think, well, I've got to have that car. I've got to have that suit. I've got to have that watch. I've got to have that woman. I've got to have that man. I've got to have that look, those teeth, that hair. I've got to have all that stuff. The lust of the eyes that you can see. But then there's the third thing. The pride of life. What is that all about? Well, that's living a proud, arrogant, boastful kind of life. The braggart. And beloved, would you agree with me? This is rampant in our world, is it not? I mean, it's shocking to see how boastful and arrogant people have become. And I mean, they're just blatant with it. I'm the greatest. I'm the best. This is when life becomes all about me. This is when life comes to the point where I reign supreme. I'm the best. The pride of life. I've got more possessions than you have. I've got more power than you have. It's all about that. And I'll not belabor the point because I've done it several times here. But you look at those three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's how Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they fell. It's also the way that Satan tempted the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. And he was victorious. Now think about that. Both of those people 
were sinless. Did you realize that? Adam and Eve had not sinned at that point when Satan came along. And Jesus Christ, of course, never sinned. But he used those things and it caused Adam and Eve to fall. But it caused our greater than Adam, the Lord Jesus, to be victorious. And because he is, we are as well in him. It was old John Trapp who said, Pleasure, profit, and preferment are the worldling's trinity. Think about that. These three things, pleasure, profit, and preferment. The Lord says, do not love the world. Period. Do not love the things of the world. Don't love the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. But here's the real question today that I want to get with you about, and that's this. Why? Why does God tell us don't love the world? Why does God tell us not to love the things of the world? Well, there's several reasons we find here in this passage, and I want to share them with you here real quickly. If you want to make a list of them, I would encourage you to do so. First of all, number one, because he commanded us not to. Why are we not to love the world? Thank the Lord, because he said not to. He commanded us not to do this. Now, that should be enough. That should be enough for us. If we're a child of God, we say, well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. I'll not do that. I hope you know that the Lord's commands are not given out of a heart, are not given out of a heart of, of keeping you from good things. It's given out of a heart of love. They're for our good and his glory. It was Adrian Rogers used to say this way. Uh, God is saying, help yourself to happiness. When you obey God's command, that's what he said. Help yourself to happiness. I love you so much. I'm not trying to keep things back from you. Isn't that what Satan pretty much said to Eve? The Lord knows the day you do this, you'll be this, that. God's holding out on you. No, friend. God is loving you with an everlasting love and saying to you, do not do this. He's saying, help yourself to happiness. He commanded us not to. That should be enough. We should be able to pray and go home. But I know for some, you say, well, what else? Well, let me give you a second one. Why doesn't the Lord let us love the world? Well, secondly, because of our love for him, our love for the father. Look at the end of verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. In other words, we cannot love the world and love the father truly at the same time. These two do not mix. Do you remember what James 4, 4 says? James 4, 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? Do you remember what it says? An enemy of God. He's saying, listen, you can't love God and love the world at the same time. I can't love the world and live for the world and love Jesus, live for Jesus at the same time. Why? Because this lust and this pride of life is not of the Father, it says in verse 16, but it's of the world. One author I read this past week talked about the fact that love requires some things of us. Love requires desire and commitment. Love will require some time and resources. How can I give my life, myself, my love to Jesus and at the same time give it to the world? I can't do it. The Bible says what? No man can serve two masters. You can't do it. Just like I can't say, well, I can't go home and tell my wife now, honey, I love you, but I got another wife over here. I'm going to love her, too. That doesn't work, does it? You cannot serve, too. You cannot love Jesus and love the world at the same time. If I love the Father, as it talks about in verse 15, if I love Jesus, then I'm going to love what they love. And they've told us very clearly 
That we're not to love the evil world system and philosophy. So why did God say don't love the world? Well, because he commanded us to, first of all. But secondly, because of our love for the Father. But thirdly, and here's a very important one, and you always remember this, because the world is passing away. Look at verse 17. It says very clearly, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. Beloved, can I just tell you something? If you don't realize it yet, please understand this. This world is temporary. It's temporary. Those who follow the satanic worldly system, if they don't repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to die and go to a devil's hell. That's what the Bible says. One day the world and its lust are going to pass away. You can be the greatest this world has to offer. The most famous, the richest, best looking. You can have everything you can imagine. But it's all going to pass away. Somebody said living for this world is like rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. Can you imagine that? You reckon there's some crazy person there that night? The ship's about to go down. They're trying to put everything back in order. It's going down. And beloved, listen to me. You can get everything your hearts desire in this world, but it's all going to burn up. This world is going to pass away. I can't help but think of Mark 8, 36 and 37. For what will it profit a man if he gains the what? The whole world and loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We've got to remember this world is passing away. You can have everything this world offers. You can be the top of the heap. But beloved, in the end, you have nothing. Nothing. This world is passing away. Which brings us to the fourth reason why we ought not to love the world. And that's this. Because doing God's will is so much better. He talks about it in verse 17. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But here's a contrast. But he or she who does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Forever. You say, well, what is God's will for me, preacher? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So how can I live forever? I'm glad you asked that question, too. Here's God's will. Here's God's desire for you. First Timothy two, three and four. For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men and women implied to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Second, Peter three, nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire for you, God's will for you is that you be saved. To turn from your sin and place your faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to live for this world. He already told us what's going to happen to this world. He wants you to live for him. Do his will, do his glory, do his bidding. And so the question today for each one of us is this. Which master are you serving? Are you serving the world and the devil? Or are you serving Jesus Christ? You cannot serve both. Be saved today, friend. Has there been a time in your life where you've turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ? 
If not, do it today. Do it today. But here's what I want to say in closing. Those of us who are saved, uh, I'm assuming you already recognize that you still live in this world. Is everybody still in this world? Some some we wonder about, but, but everybody here today, you're still in this world, you're still here. But you realize we're not of the world. There's a difference. You can be in something, but not of it. I get that from Jesus. I want you to listen to what Jesus says about those who belong to him. This is from his prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17, 14 through 18. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's Jesus words now. Verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. But that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16 says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world. Listen to verse 18. He's praying to the father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, listen, God doesn't save us. And they immediately rapture us to heaven. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Man, somebody comes down, they get saved, boom, they're gone. Of course, I don't know who would tell everybody else. Right? God has left us here. He's left us here for a purpose. With a mission. The Great Commission. And He leaves us here in this world, not to be of the world, not to live those philosophies and ideologies and, and all that stuff and get it all for me. No, He lives, it leaves us in this world as a light, a salt, as a witness, as a voice crying in the wilderness, if you will. Repent, repent. Come to Jesus. Come to the Savior. We're not here to fulfill all of our lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life. We're not here to brag about our accomplishments, how great we are. We're left here to to fulfill his will and to brag on Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. See, it's a totally different life, isn't it? Because the world lives for itself in the world. Trying to get as many toys and trying to, to climb and get everything. The Christian lives for another world. Lives for Jesus. And realizes that in Jesus we have everything. And we're just a pilgrim passing through. This is not our home. And we're here and yes, we enjoy the beautiful creation. We're to love humanity and reach it with the gospel. We're here to serve and be known as followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, beloved, to so love the Father, to so be consumed by the Father, that there's no room left in our life To love the world or the things of the world. To be so consumed with Jesus Christ that we're not consumed with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. The hymn writer put it this way. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. Listen to the next part. Once earthly joy I craved, salt, peace, and rest. Now thee alone I seek. Give what is best. This all my prayer should be, more love, O Christ, to thee, 
More love to thee. More love to thee. Don't love the world. Or the things in the world. Love the Father. Love the Son. Love the Holy Spirit. And do their bidding in this world. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your presence. Thank you for saving us from this world. We were thoroughly entrenched in it. Living for it. Living out its ideas, its ideologies, its philosophies, its lifestyle, its desires, its customs, its everything. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to convict us and convert us and place us on a straight and narrow path. Thank you for giving us everything in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we never be guilty of playing around with a bunch of junk here in this world when we have treasures in Christ in heavenly places. Father, I pray this morning, if anyone here who's still of the world, Lord, they have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray in these next few moments as we sing that they would turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for those of us who know you. We know, Father, from time to time we do sin. Or perhaps some here today are wrapped up in some worldly things. Living for some things that are taking their attention away from you. Lord, I pray that you would just bring them back into fellowship with you. Deliver us from man-made lists of rules of do's and don'ts to make us think that we're right with you. Father, help us to realize you love us with an unconditional love. And our heart is to be right with you. And that we need the gospel every day to be reminded that it's not of righteousness which we have done. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. But it's what Christ has done and Christ has accomplished. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for freedom in Christ. But at the same time, may we not use our freedom to be a stumbling block to someone else or a stumbling block to ourselves. Help us to be submissive to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life to know what we ought to do, what we ought not to do. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning and the altar is open. If you need to be saved today, I would invite you to come. I'll simply take you by the hand, welcome you, and put you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. They'll sit down with the Bible and share Christ. That's all we're going to do. If you want to come today, you're a child of God, but God spoke to your heart about something. Would you come and pray today? The altar's open. 312, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. 312, we'll stand and sing as you come. 312, softly and tenderly, you come today. Mm-hmm.